Hey friends, good morning. Good Monday. Happy day to you. Happy new week. Welcome to today's episode of Enough for Today for June the 19th. I am back home and glad to be. We had a wonderful day yesterday at Emmanuel. Um, it was a tough message. I'll tell you, in all honesty, um, I really resisted whether to go at that passage that way, but we contrasted uh, the world's redefinition of love, the modern sexual narrative and, and its perversion and deception and self-destruction against the love of God through Christ that we receive and that we then live out of to bless others with, to love one another. And God's approach to love is so totally different than the world's approach. And we really have a choice as believers. We can get swept up in the cultural voices and narratives. And John, 1 John 4 said, discern the spirits, try the spirits, whether they be of God. Don't simply uh, buy into the lies and certainly don't bow the knee to the golden idol of the lies of culture. So we, we spent a lot of time yesterday unpacking uh, verses 9 to 17 in John uh, 15. And if you missed that, I hope you will catch it on the podcast or on the live stream archive, either uh, the 9 a.m. or the 10.45 a.m. I felt like 9 was a little more uh, articulate in the way it flowed. I had to compress the end of the 10.45 service, so I felt a little better about the information flow on the 9.45. But anyway, I pray that God worked and encouraged lives and hearts, and I pray that souls turn to Jesus. It was a great day, though, as we celebrated dads and encouraged families and enjoyed cinnamon rolls. So if you weren't able to be a part, we missed you. We are in Psalm 80. We left off, and now for you it was Friday. For me it was a couple of weeks ago. And by the way, Dana and I had a great time away. We enjoyed a lot of uh, downtime, just uh, enjoyed walking, talking, spending time eating meals together, just the two of us. Uh, for two weeks we had just a great time and made a lot of good memories. Um, so we left off in Psalm 80 and verses one through seven, this Psalm is a Psalm of mourning. It's a Psalm of repentance. It's a Psalm of intercession. It's a prayer. The Psalmist is talking to God, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, that leads Joseph like a flock. Um, then he begins to pray through the tribes, the, primarily the Northern tribes, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh. Benjamin's right on the border. Ephraim and Manasseh are what we know as Samaria. They're the center part of the country moving north, which was the main part of the northern kingdom. And it's where Jesus went to uh, Jacob's well to meet the woman at the well. So you can kind of assemble all these realities. When the psalm is being written, the northern kingdom has been devastated. And the devastation of the southern kingdom, which is Jerusalem and south, um, primarily Judah is what that kingdom is called, and Benjamin kind of gets included in that as well um, because it's right there on the border of Jerusalem going north. So anyway, um, this is a bad, dark time in the nation of Israel. And God's going to restore them. He is pruning, he's purging, he's uh, chastening them. He's dealing with them. All of his promises are still going to be fulfilled. Uh, this is pre-Messiah. Jesus hasn't come. So when you read the psalm, you're reading people in the dark crying out to God to keep his promise and to hold them and to not give up on them. Now, we know God doesn't give up on his people, so why are they praying this? And the big, the large sense of this is that their experience of the chastening of God is painful. 
It's tearful. It's hard. It's sorrowful. And to some degree, there's kind of two groups of people. There are those that were unrepentant and, and deserve the judgment of God. And then there are those that were faithful to God all through, uh, like Elijah and Elisha and others that never bowed the knee. Uh, doesn't God say to Elijah, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee? <clears throat> so God had a lot of people that were faithful in the northern kingdom that were swept up in the um, purging, chastening work of God and yet preserved and yet cared for and yet loved and taken care of. God uh, is going to answer their prayer in Jesus. Jesus, it's, it's amazing to see it from the historical vantage point because God does respond to verse seven, turn us again, O God of hosts, cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. You know, Jesus came to the northern regions. He came to Galilee. He came through Samaria. He ministered to Judah and through Benjamin. He, he came, God visited this region and he visited Jewish people in this region. He visited somewhat of a returned and restored nation. Now, it wasn't fully restored. They were still operating under tyranny, under Roman oppression. So they're still anticipating the full restoration of Israel, the new Israel, the new Jerusalem. But even today, it's amazing that this land, this city, Jerusalem, this people, no people, no land has been more contested, more oppressed, more assaulted in human history than the Jewish people and then the land of Israel. There's no reason this land should exist except for the protecting divine providence and promises of God. And when you go there today, even though there's tension, I was reading this morning some news about some tension in the Middle East, even though there's tension, the fact that there's, that there's joy in the cities, the fact that the people of Israel are multiplying and, it, and the land is incredibly fruitful, truly the desert has blossomed like a rose. The whole region was desert and it is flourishing trees and vineyards and farms it is incredibly fruitful from the mediterranean plain all the way over the hills down into the jordan valley it is a a flourishing land both in its people and in its uh farmland and its fruitfulness it's amazing and it's only possible by the hand of god and we're alive in these last days to see it and when you read scriptures like this about God shining his face and turning his face and turning his people. It's just like, I don't know if my brain can contain it all. What is the big picture takeaway? God's real. God is active. He is providentially moving human history forward. It's all under his control. It's right on schedule. It's right on his timeline. What does that have to do with Monday for you and for me? What does that have to do for, with a new week? It means that your life today matters. It's on schedule. It's woven in. It's written into the story. God's in control. You look at the things around you. You hear. We, we kind of have a mere, uh, a, a contrasting, a, a repeating pattern of the nation of Israel in terms of the, the state of America. At one point, we were a country that, for the most part, was following God, at least in our national uh, decrees. And now, nationalistically, we have wholly pretty much turned away from God and to idols primarily the uh, gods of sex and materialism and, and pleasure and personal prosperity. But nonetheless, there's us, there's the people of God that are uh, following him, loving him, and, and remaining loyal to his values, his word, his truth. And the reality is we can hold on to the same promises these people held on to. We can cry the same prayers to God. Oh, Lord, how long? How long will it seem like you're 
angry? Will it seem like you've turned your back? How long? And, and yet nothing that we're experiencing in our country comes even close to what these people experienced. I mean, they were just completely obliterated. The armies of the, nations of, uh, the nation of the Assyrians came sweeping in, and it was, it was very devastating bloodshed. So I, I feel like I'm rambling, but all of this shows us that God is real, his hand is active in our lives, and it matters in our lives today. So we pick up today in verse 8. I'll be quick. We'll read one verse, and I'll let you go. I've said enough. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it, and it didst take, cause it to take deep root, and it filled the land. Now here's what the psalmist is going to do in verses 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, really to the end of the psalm. He's going to take verses 1 to 7, turn them into a metaphor. God as, a, as, a, as a, a keeper of a vineyard, God as a gardener, has brought a vine out of Egypt. Who's the vine? Israel. <coughs> How did he bring Israel out of Egypt? He delivered them, the Exodus. So all of this now becomes a picture of the nation of Israel, the people of God, being brought out of Egypt as a vine and God planting it, clearing the land, casting out the heathen, planting it in Israel, the land we know as Israel. Thou preparest room before it. He spread out. He gave them plenty of room to grow and did cause this vine to take deep root and it filled the land. The people multiplied. They were blessed. Uh, God blessed them. God provided for them. God protected them. The hills were covered with it and the shadow of it and the boughs thereof were like goodly cedars. He blessed them abundantly. All of this by his providence, by his provision, by his good care. What was his goal? To show himself to the world so that the world would know that he is God. He would be good to his people. He would bless them. He'd bless the world through them. Now, I got to say this and then I'll leave off and, and, and let you go for the day. This is the history, the metaphorical history behind John 15. I am the true vine. You are the branches. My father is the husbandman. What's he, what is Jesus doing when he says, I am the true vine? He's calling up Psalm 80. He's double clicking and he's going into it and saying, you're the failed vine. I'm the true vine. I'm going to give you the opportunity to be grafted into me and to be fruitful because Israel was the failed vine. We'll pick it up here tomorrow, but that's pretty cool. Hey, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.